Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and a merry welcome to the Offside Rule. Jingle bells, jingle bells. It's me, Christmas Cake Borsay, here to warm your baubles at this festive time. And I'm not alone, oh no, because we have our very own duo of snow women. First up, the dasher to my dancer, the blitz into my vixen. It's our old reindeer friend, Lindsay Cooper. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love this intro. And the angel atop of our Offside Royal Christmas tree here to bring us a sense of normality to everything and some celestial joy. We hope it's Vishali Bardwaj. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Glad to be back. Listen, Vishali, you were meant to be at Freddie Lundberg's perhaps final presser. Yes, I was. For Arsenal today. I was, and it was uh, postponed. It wasn't cancelled, it was postponed until tomorrow because obviously... Um, Mikel Arteta is likely to now take the helm. So, yeah. He, so, he... did the club freely admit that? So, I mean, they didn't, but it's quite <laughs> obvious that if you read between the lines what's going to happen next 24 hours An announcement hours or so. is coming. Yeah, yeah exactly. It is. Um, so, what do you do as a reporter at Christmas time when you get the morning off? The well, morning I did, off. Well, I didn't. Charlotte doesn't get morning. any mornings no, off. That's her so, busiest time. <laughs> so I work on our eleven o'clock news show on Premier League today. So I'm always live every day at eleven o'clock. But I did finish early, so I did get the afternoon off, and so that was quite nice. And I was coming. Well, I was going to come here and do some Christmas shopping. Decided against it, and I'm quite happy now that I've uh, seen what Oxford Street looks like. Yes, so, yeah. it's very busy. <laughs> I have dragged two bottles of alcohol, ah. a box of Quality Streets, some Christmas gifts, and several cards here, along with a laptop and everything else. And I'm now broken and very sweaty indeed, <laughs> mixing with the Oxford Street massive. Have a Charlie Budwaj, of course, uh, she of Premier League TV. Uh, she also does lots of work on Talksport and many other outlets. Lindsay Hooper, broadcasting Don. <laughs> I uh, I actually paid you some nice compliments recently and uh, there is a podcast that you can listen to called Tables Turned, which is a bit about me. And I listened to it this morning, so yeah. thank you for those. I did hear. I'm glad that you did a little sing-song at the start of today's show because Have that was good. Well, no, that was going to be one of my my topics of what I've been up to, which is um, always a horrible task, and Vishali will probably agree, which is trying to get footballers to sing. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Thing. It is the hardest <laughs> thing. So um, if anyone watches Football Focus on Saturday, I'm sure that this has made the cut. Before this player came in at Bournemouth, I was told he will never sing. He won't do it. And he just happened to accidentally do it. So that means that all How I want for Christmas... do you sing? Do you just say... Dominic oh. Solanke. Okay, so yeah. what did he sing? All I want for Christmas, just that line. Uh, he read the other line... And then he said, oh, I'm not going to sing, I'm not going to sing. And then ended up singing and pointing down the lens to camera, which I thought was a huge achievement. Job done, Lindsay. Is there one player who is always up for it? I'm thinking like a paid check or perhaps a senior player who's always up for a sing song. I, I find it the most difficult job around yeah. this time of year. We often get that on our list, don't we? Can you get them to sing a lyric yeah. for a song? Or... I think it's because it's such an unnatural environment anyway. They're being interviewed by you and then they have to do something like sing in the middle of a cold training ground or something Especially like that. Especially if they've got teammates around them, right? Because that's exactly. probably going to uh, fall foul later on. Yeah, yeah. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is quite good at having a laugh. Um, even yeah. if it's not his interview, if we'll get involved. <laughs> really? Yeah, you <laughs> so need the jokers. I.e. slash annoying. Or is he okay? I think it's quite fun. It's funny if you're doing a TV interview and he interrupts because, of course, then you can see him interrupting. I think if you're doing a radio interview, uh, you have to give context if you're the reporter, don't you? Mm. So that can be quite hard. 
yeah. he's like the modern day Rio Ferdinand who Rio used to always hijack in the background my interviews yes he did and I feel like he's the, the modern day one but more acceptable than Ozil because Ozil does it but won't do interviews and I think well get out if you don't want to do them don't be in it at all <laughs> uh, well I've been to a nativity today feeling very festive and check this out I've had a sprout Caesar salad oh that sounds disgusting <laughs> Taking vegetarianism to a whole new level today, I have with those two things. But I'm generally feeling rather festive indeed. This is our last round table of the year. So we're going to be doing some reflecting today as well as staying in the Christmas slash festive mood. Uh, we're going to be memorialising the decade as well because we forget, don't we? It's the, the end, end of a decade. Of a decade. Oh. We're going to be talking about our defining moments of the last 10 years and the teams for whom the decade has been one to immortalise for good or for bad. And our weekly reminder that we are on Jack Radio on Fridays at four o'clock and we'll be continuing over Christmas with two exclusive interviews. Woohoo! But first... It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle Now, as we've mentioned, it may have escaped your notice, but it's Christmas and there are a heck of a lot of Christmas fixtures. Uh, we've asked you to pick out a few ladies that you think are going to be pivotal. Let's put this in context. There are, as far as I can count, 39 matches in 14 days coming up. Three full Premier League match days in just the space of one week. So we're thinking espresso martini time. We're going to need some uh, resilience to make our way through. I'm definitely going to need some. I've just learned before coming in here that Vishali's got Christmas off. Yep. Which is nice. Isn't that <laughs> Which great? Which is why I'm laughing right now. I know. I, just like, I believe I've it. got four matches in four days. Holy moly. Well, we'll find out where you're going to go in just a moment. But I want to know which fixtures you're looking out for. Which ones are going to be pivotal? They could be uh, perhaps pivotal in terms of relegation, promotion, uh, or indeed securing a top spot in the Premier League or at least uh, Champions League slash Europa League place. Vishali. Well, I was going to pick Leicester against Liverpool, but I'm not because I hear that you might be talking about that. I might drop Liverpool um, So I'm going to pick Bournemouth against Arsenal. Firstly, because I've been on Arsenal duty for the past three weeks. It feels like a lifetime. (laughs) Um, So it's a game that I'm probably going to watch. But of course... Bournemouth, they had a really bad run recently. They beat Chelsea. They're at home to Arsenal. And that is looking likely to be Mikel Arteta's first game in charge. So I'm going to be quite interested to see, you know, what kind of attitude the players show in that game? Because under Freddie Ljungberg, they've had some good moments, but really they've just been poor overall. So can Arteta, in sort of the three or four days that he has to work with the squad, get an uplift in performance from the side? I wonder or not whether or not he'll make some really big changes to the personnel or whether or not he'll keep it quite similar to what Ljungberg has been sort of putting out in terms of team selections. Um, and I think that could be quite a good game. It's going to be a tough game, I think, for Arsenal, but they need points and they need it desperately. So I think that's going to be an interesting watch. Mm. Okay, let's go to one of yours, Lindsay. I'm actually picking the first one of these four that I'm doing that I'll be there pitch side reporting. It's Chelsea versus Southampton on Boxing Day for Prime Video. Now, the reason I've chosen this, and I am hypothesising a little bit here. That's a long word for you. No, what I'm do you joking. mean for I'm me? Joking. She's just given me a look of death, everyone. I did give her a look of death. I'm an English student, I'll have you know. Chelsea Spurs this weekend yes. at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think it's safe to say that Chelsea are probably going to come off the worst in this fixture. So five defeats in six, that would be if they do. So Spurs will overtake Chelsea into the top four, which then puts a lot of emphasis on this fixture, which is on Boxing Day, to try and maybe leapfrog them back. 
whilst at the same time looking at Southampton towards the bottom of the table, they are away at Villa between now and this match. And I think Villa are the worst team for Southampton to play right now. I think they're too physical. I think the balls over the top cause them nightmares. That defence at Southampton just can't cope with the sort of attack that Aston Villa have and the way that Dean Smith sets them up. So I think they'll fall foul to them. And I think it will be mounting pressure on Haas and Hootle, which will have two sort of subplots to this match. So I think it will be a big one. Tasty indeed. I will touch on Leicester Liverpool it's Boxing Day it's likely to be Liverpool's well it is Liverpool's first fixture back they are are of course uh, in imminent action in the Club World Cup final but my big question about this one of course and Leicester you know genuinely a contender to upset Liverpool on Boxing Day is they get kind of Liverpool minus one they get Liverpool tired they get Liverpool and, and in fact Mo Salah mentioned this after the game against Monterey which was the semi-final he kind of complained about the aggressive tactics of their opponents I think that there were 13 fouls committed against them. So you've only got to look at how teams are going to take it to Liverpool. Flamengo will be the same. They face Liverpool in the final. So will they be battered and bruised? Can you rest anyone? Will you have to rest anyone? Exactly. Brendan Rodgers will be wise to this and he's going to do everything in his power to make those Liverpool players run. Mm. You know, you want you want to get them leggy. You want to then also have a plan for potentially the last 20 minutes of the game when, when energy levels uh, could dip. Yeah. And it's at eight o'clock on Boxing Day as yeah. well. So, I mean, I'm not sure what the time difference is between us and Qatar and trying to get back home, etc. But that's, you know, a late kickoff and it's normally when uh, tiredness sits, sets in. And Virgil van Dijk is ill and we don't know whether or not he'll play in the final so we don't know what kind of condition their best defender is going to come into that game in and they've got a bit of an injury crisis at the back as well so that could be quite interesting you know Leicester have been the closest or or one of the closest challenges um, this season to getting a victory against uh, Liverpool they're only beaten by a late penalty at Anfield in October and that was at Anfield so uh, really tasty this one along the same vein I'm going to seamlessly link to Liverpool versus Wolves again because Wolves will be a tough fixture they've beaten Liverpool twice in the FA Cup in the last three years yes so an important one you know they get you know Liverpool again post Boxing Day so this is on the 29th of December at 4.30 so it depends how that Leicester match goes I find it fascinating now having a few Liverpool supporting fans of which you are one Mm. where Wolves are now talked about as that team that could have a say in the title race (laughs) it's so interesting for me and actually that's something that we'll touch on a little bit later Uh, Lindsay in fact Vishali where Mm -hmm. are you going to go next in terms of a game to pick out? Um, Well, I'm going to choose one that might not be the most uh, attractive to watch on Boxing Day, but Crystal Palace against West Ham could be a good game simply because West Ham are under so much pressure. I mean, Manu Pellegrini in particular. I know they just, um, they they, uh, beat Saints, didn't they? But if they lose that game to a Crystal Palace side who, yes, are in form, but who've got so many players out injured, you just wonder how much more pressure is going to be heaped on Pellegrini, how the fans will take it, especially on Boxing Day. It's not going to be a pretty game, but I think it could be quite important in terms of what happens going forwards with West Ham. Could be tasty. As tasty. We're all tucking yes, into indeed. <laughs> and, and, you know, Boxing Day is one of those days where everything is magnified times 10, right? Because not only uh, are people making this special and exciting trip to the football, but if you're 
watching at home, you're normally watching after a few bevies. The whole family are there. The stakes are high. Everyone's a bit bored by Boxing Day, so they're looking for some entertainment. Uh, so, yeah, under the magnifying glass. Lindsay, where are you going to go next? Well, so the day after, I'm packing up the Hoopers, taking them back to Wolverhampton <laughs> after we've hosted Christmas. And uh, I'm going to drop them off and then go straight to Molyneux because it's Wolves versus Manchester City. Uh, everyone knows that Wolves are my team. Of course, this is one that I would have highlighted anyway for the same reasons that you've said about Liverpool, really. But if you look at the reverse fixture, um, not only have we beaten Manchester City twice already this year, Yes, I've got some raised eyebrows. Can I remind you of the Asia Trophy? I just love the smile on your face right now. <laughs> the you Asia Trophy that. in July. Don't forget that one. As it is well the as first on my match list. Oh, I know, one, Lindsay. As well as the two 0 victory at the Etihad, where Adama Traore they could not cope with his pace, and he has been a player in form. It's certainly been his year in terms of players that have really risen to the top this year. So I think this could be my favourite game. Every time I watch Triore play, I do wonder how he's so quick with the amount of muscle that People he's got that on his lot. body. I yeah. just, it's quite amazing to watch, like I how think fast he, he sprints a machine. Up. He just, yeah. just, just, it's, <laughs> th- 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 there is a lot of natural ability there, isn't there? You can totally tell that. Like it's just, it's just in him. Yeah, it, it's in him, but it's had to be coached out of him. And the pace has always been there. That's been natural. Um, I think his strength and his physique has always been there. But the thing that Nuno's really worked on is this finishing ability mm. not only in terms of shooting now and getting amongst goals but in terms of the final delivery because you speak to any defender I think I saw an interview with a defender recently that said oh, you know once upon a time I used to not mind having uh, Traore pushed out to, to the wings because he couldn't get that ball in but now he does and he does it time and time so alright enough of the Traore yeah. loving thank you very much <laughs> we're talking about festive fi- fixtures to look forward to although the points you raise are of course decent ones I'm going to lob in Chelsea versus Arsenal Sunday 29th of December at uh, 2 o'clock at the Emirates a London derby over the Christmas period one that you can't miss you've mentioned uh, Palace and West Ham of course but this one always a tasty fixture and of course you've got the added bonus of it being Look, either his first game in charge or his second game in charge in terms of Mikel Arteta in Arsenal up against Frank Lampard. So you've got two, you know, former players and that rivalry thrown into it as well. So the fact it's Christmas, it's a London derby and what's happening in the managerial stakes as well. One to watch for me. I'll quickly throw in a championship fixture very quickly. Leeds against Preston. This is a 5.15 kickoff on Boxing Day, so a later one. And I've thrown this up because of the automatic places that are up for grabs. Now, Preston aren't really threatening Leeds in that regard because they're 10 points adrift of them anyway. But this is second in Leeds versus third in Preston. Leeds, by the way, seven wins and a draw in the last eight matches. They really are on Mm. fire. I I do wonder if anyone can stop them if it could be Preston. So you've mentioned two matches you're going to be at Hoops. Where else are you going to be travelling? Because you're going to be clocking up some miles. I am. (laughs) My poor car, Meg, is going to be putting the miles on. What's your car called, Meg? McGann. (laughs) <laughs> it's really simple. In case you wondered what this kind of car Lindsay drove. You should, um, you should uh, perhaps name the next one Porsche. I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so, if Santa's kind. Norwich against Spurs, I do the day after Wolves against Manchester City. Uh, so I'll be going over to Norwich. Wow. And then I'm at Manchester City versus Sheffield United. So, Holy McMurley. Yeah, the miles. Uh, you're going to need to tie some tinsel to your car, a few flashing lights. Oh, I'm I'm planning on ha- um, hitching a ride with Santa on his sleigh. It'll <laughs> well, be done. All the work will have been done by then. <laughs> well, that's a future dealt with. Uh, let's head down memory lane next. This is the offside rule from Muddy Knees Media. I want to introduce the great mace, Andrea Bocelli. Is here for you. 
And I want to say to you, we are champions because you push too much behind us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. And he spotted that. Oh, they caught them. They caught Barcelona napping. Brilliant thinking by Alexander-Arnold. Clinical finish from Divock Origi. Liverpool ahead. Liverpool 4, Barcelona 0. 4-3 on aggregate. And that was so cheeky and so effective. Maka looks confident. Saved by Pickford. A great big hand from England's goalkeeper has just given Eric Dyer the chance to send England through. And Dyer does it! England win a World Cup penalty shootout for the first time ever. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! So a decade of delight and decline. Let's look at both sides of the weighing scales here. It's the end of a decade. So let's celebrate some teams for whom the 2010s have been amazing and we've seen loads of progression. And then on the flip side, those who would just rather scratch the decade off the yearly calendar completely. Uh, Vishali, for you. I'm going to talk about Liverpool, which I'm sure you're really happy to hear. Because so <laughs> it's been an interesting decade. I'd say about five years of disappointment. Um, if you go back to sort of 2009, 2010, I'll go through their, their um, Premier League finishes. Seventh they were in that season. Season after they finished sixth. Then they finished eighth after that. Then it was another seventh place to finish. And of course, the year after, under Brendan Rodgers, they finished second. Lots of Liverpool fans think that they probably should have won the Premier League title then. Missed out, obviously, by two points because of that loss to Chelsea and that draw to Crystal Palace. Of course, then he got sacked. So it was another eighth place finish for Liverpool. But then things went right for them under under Klopp. Two fourth place finishes uh, last season, of course, second. And of course, right now they are the Premier League um, leaders by 10 points. Champions League winners. They were the Champions League finalists the season before that. And they reached the Europa League final. So they've really turned the decade around, you know, They've had one second. They've only gone through two managers as well. That's quite surprising, I think, and and quite admirable, I think, mm. as well for you know, especially nowadays when money's so important and you often see clubs just chopping and changing. They sacked Brendan Rodgers and they've they're stuck with Klopp, and it's been to their benefit really. And um, totally you know, off, they yeah. are the European uh, champions and they're flying high in the Premier League. And you know, Leicester are ten points behind them, doing well. But really, it's Liverpool's to lose. I feel this season. So yeah, I think they've really impressed me. And to end the decade, Klopp signed for more years so he yes, signed a new absolutely. contract Let's extension we'll in the, the same at the end of the next decade mm-hmm. Lindsay I'm going to go with Bournemouth I could easily go with Wolves um, but I won't do that maybe someone else will mention them because yeah. I didn't want to be that person um, <laughs> a bit like me has just harped on about Liverpool for well it's just sort around. of like bigging yourself up isn't it really so I'll go for Bournemouth and I'll say how about them how about 2010 uh, being in League One finishing sixth in that season 
Eddie Howe was the manager as well, by the way, back then. But everyone forgets because obviously he'd be the longest manager if he'd have stayed. But he did have that time when he went away, uh, January 2011, joined Burnley for a bit. Um, but he was in charge at the start of the, of the 2010s. Uh, two more seasons in League One. They were promoted in 2013. They were straight away champions of the championship 2014-15. And this is all at a club where the stadium capacity still to this day is under 12,000. Remarkable. And now they're in their fifth season in the Premier League. Um, And if you go back a touch further, 2008, they actually were in danger of being relegated out of the Football League altogether. Mm. Many people will say, well, this is because they had a billionaire owner come in. They were one of those clubs that did. But I think it's so much more than that. I think Eddie Howe's been off course a huge factor in it but in terms of being a Bournemouth supporter surely the 2010s are going to be the decade that you look back on and go yes that was the time well I'm going to throw in Manchester City is where I'm going with this one because if we rewind to 2010 the Premier League trophy was held by a Manchester club Manchester United but what a great decade Manchester City have had in contrast Uh, they entered the decade uh, not having won the top flight title since 1968 of course we know what's happened since then Uh, they've lifted uh, the FA Cup in fact they lifted it in their first full season of the 2010s and just not look back since then really when you think of the number of titles that they've won uh, four Premier League titles in total Uh, I won't run through them all now because you know most of this Uh, over the last two years alone they've won five of the last six major domestic trophies if you look at Premier League FA Cup and Carabao Cup as well what a contrast for Manchester City of course it's to do with those owners who came in before this decade but well and truly bedded in throughout the 2010s I have to say they are a very very well run club as well and I do really admire the way that they not only uh, look after the men's team but the women's team as well a team that you've mentioned Lindsay and I will bring it back to you as well Wolves because in 2010 I'm sure as you referenced earlier in the podcast you wouldn't have thought that you'd be discussing Wolves as a genuine contender to upset Liverpool's title hopefully title winning season there was one word for this decade that I didn't think that I would hear I actually thought that I would hear Premier League I thought we'd be back in the Premier League I thought that I'd hear top 10 finish. I honestly did. I never thought that I would hear the word Europe. I didn't think that I would hear Europe. And the fact that we're through to the knockout stages of the Europa League competition and still in the top half of the table. What about teams that haven't had such a good time this decade, Lindsay? There are plenty of teams that we could highlight like Bolton Wanderers as an example I'll mention them there's lots so many but I know that we've just got to go with what originally comes to our mind and I went straight away Blackburn because the start of the decade uh, they were in the Premier League and can you just remember a few of the players in the squad? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but if I was to start you off with, you know, they had Paul Robinson in goal, they had David Dunn, El Hadjouf in the squad. Anyone else you can think of at the time back God, in 2010? My brain doesn't stretch back 10 years, although we were working, of course, on this. A young Phil Jones. Really? Uh, yeah. Jason time. Roberts, uh, Michael Salgado. This is this yeah. is a team that people would would be able to just name from that time. And then they got relegated in 2012. Uh, they spent five seasons in the championship and seemed to sort of be destined to be round there for some time. And this is around the whole chicken owner, the kind of Venkis ownership as well, isn't <laughs> yes, it? Yes, there's a chicken lot that owners. was going on. Yes. A lot going on. And then they went down to League One, which not many people thought would come at all. It, it really 
felt like Blackburn were the team that at some point would return to the Premier League. And I guess that brings us right to present day because we're still waiting for that. And this season, as we record this, they are in the top 10. Uh, They're probably going for a playoff place at best this season in the Championship. But when are they going to return? I'm going to mention the only team that's dropped out of the EFL since 1992, Bury, of course, um, such a sad loss and and a fairly recent one as well. But the only team this decade to have dropped out of the English Football League. Quick bit of joy for them, Maidstone United. I wanted to highlight them. I read a lovely piece on them. Gosh, recently, I think it was, um, and just about how they fell out of the Football League uh, system, went into non-league, crashed out, but basically re- rebuilt again, and times are looking good for a side like Maidstone United. But there are plenty of teams in a similar way, I guess, Chester, Darlington, um, who've all had their financial issues and their troubles, uh, but have re-emerged over the last 10 years. So some hope there for Berry. And Vishali, a quick one from you. Well, it's going to be Portsmouth, I think. Um, yeah, it is quite sad. I mean, I was talking to um, a girl who is a, a big, big Pompey fan. And she said, you know, it hasn't been good for her last couple of years. What is it? Three relegations? Three relegations um, and, a, and a promotion. And that's a, not very Let's not take that yeah. away from them. But they're currently in League One. Yeah, and that's why when they played Southampton recently, they, they were just they were just really like really enjoying that big derby feeling and just the feeling of sort of playing a Premier League side a rival and having those kind of good days back again where you know you feel like you know this is a big game something to play for because I haven't had too many of those sort of great day sort of derby day feelings for a long time so yeah yeah I think I'd, I'd say them they've had such a troubled history haven't they Portsmouth it would be really nice if in 10 years time if we're still here looking every bit as glamorous ladies uh, <laughs> that we were talking about a Portsmouth resurgence you talked about teams that have folded like Berry and Macclesfield are another team that are in trouble at the moment. We'll wait and see what happens with them. But teams that have also been created in the last decade importantly, quick, Salford City. We yep. had a lot of the ex-Manchester United class of 92 coming together and starting a football club. There's um, David Beckham starting a franchise over in the MLS in Miami. Hashtag United, which is a team <laughs> that I never thought we'd see. Um, if you don't know about Hashtag United, we haven't got time to go into that right now. It but is you can a go tale online. of our times. Yes, it, it is a tale of our times. <laughs> but the best one and the biggest has to be Manchester United women starting a, a team. That's very true indeed. Yes, and indeed the the emergence of a lot of fresh and 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 the re-establishing of teams beyond the top two flights in the women's game. Well, we've done the clubs we've had a decade to remember or forget. Now it's time for our stories. Some lovely music there for us to reminisce, ladies, over. You're used to that, bedtime reading with the kids. I know I am. Um, But you know what, 10 years, and and actually this is quite nice, as, you know, women who work in football, we've all been around for at least 10 years, more really, but it's been nice to reflect on, this this is the first whole decade, I Mm. suppose, that we are reflecting on. And so I really want your personal stories as well, things that have stood out for you over the last 10 years. It could be, I don't know, a great work moment, kind of a personal memory if you have followed football somewhere in the world or a particular game. Vishali, I'm going to start with you on this one. So I'm not actually a big fan of reminiscing in my own personal life. I just hate thinking back to 
you? Yeah, I just don't ever think back to my past. I just always think about the present. I'm Will not that ever? kind of person. Do you think, is this something I'm you're saving to... for when you're in a rocking well, chair? I don't know. I'm forced to by my my sister, who's my best friend. She's always like, you've, you've got to think about your journey and you should be really proud. I'm like, I'm just thinking about tomorrow and what time I have to get up. <laughs> so I'm not a big fan. But whenever I do sit down and, and have a think, um, I think it's interesting because about 10 years ago, that's when I first sort of began forging my sports journalism career. And at the time, I was a trained microbiologist, fresh out of um, university, had just gotten my degree and wanted to basically change my career. And the only other thing I thought about doing was sports journalism because I absolutely loved football. So but what was wrong with microbiology? Then, nothing was wrong with it. Um, but I realised that my passion for it, stu- like studying it, yeah. was not the same as my passion for working in it. It was it was very interesting to study, very boring to work in day to day. Um, so it's interesting because obviously in the last 10 years, obviously I have forged my career and I think the pinnacle for me so far in my career was actually last year when I went to the World Cup and I covered it. I was working for the Evening Standard then and I was based in Moscow for the entire tournament. Wow, and um, what, a, what a World Cup that ended up being. I know, exactly. After all the warnings. Exactly, and... there were so many warnings. I, I didn't really take too much heed to all the warnings. I, I, was, you know, I was careful, but I, I didn't really want to kind of have a negative before I even went out there. So I went out there with an open mind and firstly the weather was amazing in Moscow. It was about 32, 33 degrees Celsius for about three weeks. So that obviously helped. The city itself was amazing and I was there for the opener, all the games. I watched Spain get knocked out. I watched England twice as well, including the semi-final. Like, sort of bearing witness to England's trajectory in that tournament? Because of course it was a great tournament for England. It took us a little bit by surprise at home and we got involved mm. with Gareth's waistcoat and everything else well, that was involved. You know involved. what? It was a very odd feeling because out there there weren't that many fans. So I saw the hysteria and the passion and everything happening in England on social media. And I was like, do you know what? I'd love to be back home, actually. Because out there, there were about 200 fans for the game against Colombia. It felt like 200 fans. Mm. So you couldn't get into the same kind of feeling or vibe. But obviously watching them get to the semi-final was great. And obviously I was at the final as well. And I remember the final vividly because it started off a really, really hot day. I was doing all the reporting. And midway through the final, it started raining. There was lightning. And it just... It makes me remember that game so much more because of the weather conditions. And I just remember thinking... It almost feels I, biblical, I, doesn't it? You know, It did kind of feel like that, yeah. And mm. I think the lightning struck when it was... I think France had a free kick. It struck and then the free kick happened. And I just remember that moment quite vividly. Yeah. Um, and for me, personally, that was a big achievement in terms of my career. Um, yeah, and wow. one I'll never forget. Lindsay Hooper. Oh, it's so difficult going back over such a long period you know of time, isn't it? It's difficult for, for you know me to actually remember 10 years yeah, back. If, but I'm, if I'm completely honest with you, after two children, my brain, my memory is shot. I thought I'll whistle stop through a few things that I didn't think would happen in this last decade. So 2012 Olympics, Team GB, the, the crowd that watched that match, and it felt like the turning point in women's football, that there was an argument to say, you know, there is an audience for it. I know there was ticket sales, but, but it absolutely filled up and and still you talk about vivid memories Steph Horton scoring in that match Mm. is one of my favourite goals Mm. and favourite moments in the women's game and we've had our own moments in the women's game where we went to Canada for the World Cup but that is one of mine actually Canada which is the only time that Lindsay and I have properly fallen out by the way Kate likes to remind people of this we (laughs) just (laughs) dredge it up quite a few times just because people are so surprised we fell out about grammar but we had it, what, what was so lovely about that that time in Canada hoops is that no one was expecting anything from England. People weren't even 
you know, to some extent, following it to begin with. And then there was this lovely build-up. And we were a little bit immune to it out there, a bit like you in Russia. Mm. But we kept hearing from back home how it was making the headlines. A lot of our, you know, for us, we were two journalists out there making content, um, producing podcasts, but we were still working as journalists. And suddenly our content started to get picked up. And that's really lovely when you take a punt on a tournament and when someone like Audio Boom, who sponsored us, take a punt on us, send us out, and it really pays off. There's major tournaments as well where I've worked on the South Africa World Cup from back in England doing bulletins uh, for ITV's Red Button at the time. I've worked on other major championships, but the best ones are when you do it with your friends. Mm. And Kate and I went to Brazil. We also went to the Euros in France together. Mm. And it isn't just about the work. It's the fact that I got to spend some time and make memories with you. That was really lovely. Do you remember when we got caught up in the fights in Marseille? Now, yes. that was a memory and a half. We got locked in a restaurant. Yes, exactly. There was uh, violence between England and Russia fans. But probably the the kind of um, least said about that, the better if we're reminiscing. This very podcast started in 2012. That's in the last decade. So this decade has seen the birth of the offside rule. Yes. And um, I guess hopefully the continued success of the offside rule as well, which is lovely. And we must give a shout out to Muddy Knees Media, who produce the podcast and are now um, kind of part of us, I suppose. And And our third wheel, Hayley McQueen. Hayley McQueen. Now, she's had a big decade. She's had a baby. She's got engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she's followed. Well, in, in fact, she's been out for a few of those tournaments as well. We mentioned earlier, Lindsay. But um, but but yeah, in terms of sentimentality, and I know you don't do this for Charlie. <laughs> but, you know, when you sit and think about it, it has been it's been a great decade for women in football and it's been a good decade for us. And, and I hope we can continue it. Let's return to a bit of football, though, before I start uh, crying and getting really emotional about this situation. Um, Vishali, another standout moment for you of the last decade. I'm going to keep it quite recent because I hate looking back. And um, <laughs> I'm going so to, you're going to like this one. I'm going to talk about Liverpool. I remember following their Champions League campaign last season, thinking, I'm, I'm sure they'll get far. And then when they drew Barcelona, I remember I was packing because I was covering Arsenal's game against Valencia in the Europa League and I had to fly out the day after Liverpool played Barcelona at home when they'd already been beaten 4-0 in the first leg. And I remember thinking, I'm probably not going to watch that game because they're probably not going to get through. So I'll just kind of half pack, half watch it. Watched the first goal, um, went to pack, uh, missed two goals, came back and thought, (laughs) they can't do this, can they? And I just remember the shock and the kind of delight on my face when Trent Alexander-Arnold delivered that corner. And I just almost couldn't believe it, but I could believe it. And from that moment on, I just knew they were going to win the Champions League. And I'll never forget it, I think, just because of the all of my friends who are Liverpool fans, you know, sort of the, the amount of joy it brung, uh, brung them, um, obviously off the back of not having won it for so long, not having won a major trophy as well in, in so long as well. And I just, I'll always remember that game against Barcelona, the second leg, that corner in particular, I'm sure all Liverpool fans will remember that. And just a feeling with all my friends, obviously in Madrid, when, when they won the final as well. The final wasn't as good. I was actually watching that on the way to our wedding on my phone <laughs> so it wasn't as memorable but I think the semi-final really so stands almost, out for me almost need you not to be kind of watching yeah. for Liverpool to have <laughs> success well I'm going to go back to 2012 it's impossible to talk about the decade and not talk about this Manchester City are still alive here Balotelli Aguero Drink it in. 
I won't say too much about it because everyone will remember it. Final day of the season, 2012. United thought they had the title. City 2-1 down against QPR. Joey Barton gets sent off. Edin Dzeko gets uh, City level and then up steps Sergio Aguero for City's first ever Premier League title. And that leads it on nicely to mine because I think for a Premier League rights moment in terms of interest around the globe, that sparked it. And it was it was c- countries coming on board saying, we want to get part of this. We want to be able to watch the Premier League regularly. And the rights went through the roof and we're very grateful for that because we get paid. <laughs> Some of us have all been paid by the Premier League at certain points in our careers. <laughs> so that's been good. <laughs> and then a moment even bigger came and that was with Leicester City when Leicester City, out of nowhere, won the title. Something that we're wondering if we'll ever see again in our lifetime, something like that happen. And it happened to be a season that I was working on Match Day Live. I was going and covering Leicester games quite a bit that season. And I remember just even pre-match, they'd introduced the Clackers, um, which I didn't think I'd be a fan of, actually, because I hated the Vuvuzela in South Africa. And I thought, oh, anything that creates that sort of noise. So my first experience of that, um, I thought, wow, this does really create an electric atmosphere and I'd been there when Kasabian had performed pre-match I'd been there for a helicopter landing um, and giving the match ball for kickoff. They did some spectacular things at the King Power and I really got caught up in it and I thought I remember probably I think three quarters of the way through because I don't want to say it was early doors because nobody saw what happened come, but I just remember thinking this is something special yeah. this is something really special and when Jamie Vardy had those 11 goals in a row in 11 games in a row wow you know what what a moment for him the documentary as we've we've covered on previous podcasts never did come out no it should it have done the Jamie Vardy documentary a sad loss to filmmaking that one well look I'm going to have to draw this to a close because time is against us ladies and we must move on to any other business of course they're not all the moments of the last decade they're just some ones that we've picked out you can chuck your own in on social media at Offside Rule Pod please do and get involved alright while I uh, wipe a misty tear away from the corner of my eye uh, <laughs> let's get on to any other business Right, one each, ladies. Uh, Lindsay Hooper, let's go to you. Ronaldo. I'm going to say about headers because it's quite topical this week for any other business. He scored this amazing header where he's elevated, I think, over two metres in the air. This is a man that has scored 18% of his goals as headers. And I don't think until this last week it's really been highlighted enough just how good he is at it. If you were to pick any footballer to score you a goal with a header, Ronaldo has to be it, surely. I'm going to chip in with the ideal escape for Arsenal fans um, due to slightly patchy form and before Mikel Arteta arrives. Betting at Wager are offering a pair of Gooners a trip 5,000 miles away to St George's Kay or Kai uh, in Belize. What's the important thing about this island? Well, not only has it no roads, cars or grocery store, but there's no internet on this island. If you're looking for the ultimate getaway as a beleaguered Arsenal fan, this is for you. You wouldn't cope. I, 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 no, it isn't for me. Uh, for Charlie. Uh, my one is something that I'm sure Liverpool fans will definitely have noticed, but maybe not other fans. Uh, Liverpool doing a bit of transfer business really, really early before the windows even opened. Um, they've agreed a deal to sign Red Bull Salzburg uh, winger Mina Mino 
for just £7.25 million, which was his release clause, which I just think is incredible value for money. And getting their transfer business done early as well shows um, a a really good sort of kind of preparation for the upcoming window. Are you sure you're not a Liverpool fan? Am I I doing a podcast with two Liverpool fans? It does does feel like a Liverpool podcast. My mouth is closed. Uh, I don't apologise. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, We're nearly done. Let's just say some quick thank yous though and to make you aware that we're on Jet Radio at four o'clock on Fridays. Over the next two weeks we're going to be releasing two exclusives with Jill Scott and Willie Caballero at so we're not leaving you alone this Christmas. Those will be on the Fridays between Christmas and New Year. We're on the socials too, at Offside Rule Pod and our website. Keep up to date with all the content and we'll be doing best of the year and best of the decade on there as well, offsiderulepodcast.com. Lindsay, who do we need to say thank you to? We need to say thank you to everyone that's come in the studio and filled the, the shoes of Hayley McQueen because Hayley's been on maternity leave and she hasn't been able to be part of the podcast as much this season. So it's people like Vashali that we've got to thank. So Vashali, thank you. Uh, Mina Razuki, Faye Carruthers, Robin Cowan, Bianca Westwood, Emma Saunders, Vicky Sparks, Sarah Shepherd, Ali Bender. I really hope I haven't missed There's any. loads. So thank you to everyone for stepping in for Hayley McQueen. We hope that she'll be back at some point in the new year. My thanks to you, Lindsay Hooper, my ever-present Oh, now I've friend. got a tear in my glass. <laughs> <laughs> and producer Abby as well. We must say thank you to producer Abby who delights in nothing more than barking orders down my earphones, especially when Lindsay can't hear them. And I can sense like them though, I turn around. Hand, winding up hand, as in ladies, you're talking too much. How <laughs> does what she we're bear doing it? now? She's doing it right now to me. So it's time to say goodbye. Don't forget those exclusives and your round table will be back in the new year. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.